And at this time, I'm going to ask the teens to come up and share a little bit of what we've been doing this weekend. there so I'm Jesse and I'm a part of our teen group here and when you walked in the doors um, we had someone handing out these little purple forms here and pretty much what it is is we had our lock-in from Friday night to Sunday night and we slept here at the church so we want to give you the adults uh, opportunity to do the exact same thing except not overnight it's just from like morning to the end of the night and so you don't have to sleep on the chairs. Um, so pretty much what it is, you'll come here and do pretty much what we did all weekend, workshops, have fun and bond with the rest of your spiritual community. So yeah, and I'll pass it off here. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. And this is one of the houses we built for one of the workshops we did last night. And it was to visualize the steps of treatment. So the first step is recognition. And in our house, the star at the top of it signifies one god, one star. The second step is unification. The straws coming down from the star show that, they're all con that we are all connected with God. And then we have the popsicle sticks holding up the roof, which show that affirmations hold it together, just like the popsicle sticks are holding it together. And then there's Thanksgiving, and the open door signifies that step. And finally, we have the chimney, releasing all the love that has accumulated. So there's recognition, unification, affirmation, Thanksgiving, and release. And on another note, uh, if you would please visit the back table to see the two other houses we made and another workshop we did where we made cards and felt teddy bears to send to kids in Africa for a global service project. Hi, I'm Amanda and I live in Saskatoon. And um, in June I moved to Saskatoon from here and I had just been starting to come to teen group for a couple of weeks so it was really hard to leave them. And um, I, it's my first year of high school, um, my first year in an, and my first year in a new city, so it's a lot of new. And um, I've been really looking forward to this lock-in. And at school, I've been sort of having a bit of trouble finding the, some people that I trust on the same level as these lovely people you see standing behind me. So, and this weekend sort of reaffirmed my trust in people and in this lovely community. So, thank you. Hi, I'm Kenzie. I'd just like to thank and show some appreciation to the leaders and advisors and you guys for supporting our teen group. Thank you. And now I'd like to welcome to the stage our speaker for the morning, our spiritual director, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. They've already heard the talk. They're not running out because I'm getting ready to speak.
So good morning, and I want to apologize to the teens. They were going to do the closing treatment at the first service, and I forgot. I was on a roll, so we won't do that again. You guys are up. Thank you for your understanding. Anyway, what I'd like to invite you to do as we move into our service, uh, our lesson portion of our service is to uh, sing a song, which helps continue to build the resonance of the Most High. So if you're comfortable and, you, and you'd like to stand with me, please feel free. If not, stay seated. And we'll say a prayer as well. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every Spirit, one Spirit. Is in this very room, in this very room, in this very And so I invite you to know with me, and it is an opportunity for each one of us, as well as myself, to open my heart and my mind and my being to the awareness of the one life, the one power, the one infinite divine activity, that Father, Mother, God, that is fully present, fully orbed. And in that recognition, in the articulation of that recognition, as I speak my word, I am lifted and changed. For that which I say, I become. And so allowing my words to be your words in recognition of the one, I claim that as my own. So I stand in perfect union. I stand and am lifted into that third kingdom of consciousness, co-creation. And I know that the words, the notes of the songs, and everything that we share today is designed, orchestrated, and given to us as a vehicle to move in between the spaces between the notes and the words and the ideas and our thinking and our intellect to the experience of the infinite. And in that, we come home. We find our heart. And we are reminded of the truth of our being. We have always been. We will always be. And every one of us has everything we need. This is the truth despite what we tell ourselves. I give thanks to stand in the abundance, the peace of mind, the elegance of life, eyes to see, ears to hear, the ability to taste and to smell and the ability to touch. All of it, everything I touch, see, smell, taste and hear is the infinite in form being expressed. And the remembrance of that is beautiful and powerful and wonderful. So I marinate in this, in this moment, in each moment hereafter, knowing that each and every one of us is lifted up and propelled outward and upward in our consciousness and our awareness and our experience of life into the ideas and the opportunities and the experiences that are authentic and real, powerful and life-giving. And for this, I give thanks, knowing this is our activity this day. And together we say, and so it is.
I ended up over here somehow. Thank you, Brown. All right. Well, my dear friend, Paul Pringle is in the audience today, and Paul always lets me use any of his material that I want. He's a, he's a comedian, stand-up comedian. And as this morning he said it out, you know, Reverend Patrick, when I came to this center, I started out with nothing, and I still have most of it. And I want to thank you, Paul, because you do, I can tell. Okay. Are you going to heckle me today, Paul? All right. So anyway, we're here with our teens today, and uh, they uh, have had a wonderful weekend, a wonderful lock-in. And I've been talking about, the last week we've been having that conversation about um, Gary Zukoff's book, Spiritual Partnership. And in that book, he talks about the new consciousness that's being given birth on the planet. And because it's such a good fit for what we do as a spiritual community, and it it resonated so clearly with what our activity is about, it really is uh, a good fit for us. And I thought about it at depth this week in doing, preparing to share with you, what is it At the end of the day, with a spiritual partnership, and spiritual partnership, just to touch back on it, maybe you're here for the first time, and welcome if you are, is that um, this idea that there's two two things happening on the planet right now that are shifting and changing and and moving us in a new direction. One is that the inherent intuition that is alive on the planet has become more and more pronounced for everyone. Which, in, in last week I talked about the, the, the kingdoms of consciousness. In the first kingdom, the kingdom of consciousness, the first one is the uh, victim consciousness. And that's where our spirit is essentially asleep. And so when you see things happening on the planet, it's always interesting to look at that and say, what, what level of consciousness is operating here? But it's the victim consciousness, it's tribal consciousness, it's where our spirit is not awake. And then all of a sudden, uh, if people that move into the second kingdom, which is the kingdom of manifestation where we start to set intentions, we realize that we're not stuck, and we start to read books, and we start to go to workshops, and we start to uh, engage in communities like this that say, gee whiz, I can, I can change my life if I change my consciousness, if I change my thinking, and that's a wonderful thing. It's a powerful, powerful step, and we have to participate in all of the kingdoms, and sometimes even when we've done our work, we, we slip right back into victim consciousness. The great thing about it when we're awake and we're aware is that we know we're there, and so in Gary Zukov's book, he's talking about this idea of stepping into manifestation and understanding that, is, the, asking the question, is love operating in our lives or is fear operating in our lives? Well, the interesting thing is if you're in the victim consciousness kingdom, kingdom number one, or if you're in manifestation consciousness, kingdom number two, both of those are, are, are um, very much connected with fear. Because, and it's, and as Marcia Sutton would say, it's a suppression in, in those kingdoms, it's the suppression of evil, is the way Marcia would talk about it. And so it's that duality that we believe that there's something else alive, that there's something about us that's broken and not, not good and not whole and not complete. And so the spiritual journey and how this lines up with spiritual practice and, and the spiritual partnership is that our opportunity, as Zukov says, is to step into love. But to be for, in that love consistently, which is to understand that love is fearless, and to be in that is the shift into the third kingdom, which is a huge and amazing process that's taking place on the planet right now. And it's our opportunity, and it's happening, and there's many times that you and I are in the third kingdom. When all is well, we're operating in that, that zone, or we're, we're doing our work in some capacity. A lot of times it's found in the activities that we love and that we're passionate about. I see it all the time with the musicians when they're singing their songs, when they're up here sharing their gifts. They're in the third kingdom. So it's accessible to all of us. 
And if we understand it, then we're better able to choose. We will either choose to learn wisdom through love and trust or through fear and doubt. Those are our choices. And I would agree with that. Zukov says when a frightened part of our personality is active, we can either challenge it or we can indulge it. We can, we can say, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to stop myself. Or we can simply say, okay, I'm scared. And then our behavior will spring forth from that experience. So uh, the depth of fear is that sense of hopelessness, helplessness, and powerlessness. And, uh, and those are the most painful experiences when we feel hopeless and helpless and powerless. And there are many things that we will have experiences in life where we will go into those experiences, those frightened experiences, those frightened parts of our personality, because it's such a, good, it's such a popular idea. But what's happening is there's an era for all of us that's awakening, that's the consulting of our intuition and allowing others to consult theirs has arrived, which means that, that for the most part, we're at least where intuition starts to kick in is in the second kingdom, the kingdom of manifestation. We start to do spiritual practice. All of a sudden, we start to have dreams and, and that start to inform us, and we start to get the intuitive hits that guide us. And so that's that second kingdom. In the, in the third kingdom, there's no doubt we are in co-creation. So our life, as we claim in our prayer work, my life, my life is God's life. I'm a God guy. So the reason that we're here, the reason why we do this, and, and why I need to be reminded in the blessing in my life is I get to go and dig and look at it and, and, and look at things and, and pull things together, hopefully that there's value, so that you can come and marinate not only in my words, but in the consciousness that gets generated collectively and individually by our coming together in celebration. It's very powerful. It's very deep. And we don't do it alone. We don't even do it. What it is, which I've learned very, very um, beautifully and sweetly with studying with Marcia Sutton, is the, goal, the, 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 the object with all of spiritual practice is to get oneself out of the way so that you become the portal of expression. And once you start to, to have that experience and once you start to share from that, then what happens is the words, the words are somewhat important because we need something to chew on in our intellect, but it's also the experience of the infinite that pours itself forth. And so this is, a, this is truly the, the Christ-like way of life. Ours is a, a philosophy and a teaching and a way of life. And I was um, doing some research this week and I found a wonderful book by, a, and actually this was given to me, this book I was directed to by the, my, my seatmate on the plane when I was going down to Phoenix, a young man that I met, and he said, you gotta read John Eldridge's book because we got talking about this stuff. And our journey really is to return to our hearts, to find our hearts. And so this book that I don't have in the bookstore, but we will be getting copies in, I guarantee you, because about 10 people asked me after last service, called Wild at Heart, Discovering the Secret of a Man's Soul. And uh, it was inspired by this young man. It was also inspired by the work I've been doing and reading with Richard Rohr, who does a lot of this work. He's a Franciscan priest that's done wonderful work around, uh, around men. But for all of us, I wanted to share you some of the insights that, that, that came to me as a result of this. Because in, in Eldridge's book, and I think it's true, well, let me ask you this first. Has anyone here seen the movie Legends of the Fall? Okay, a few people here have seen Legends of the Fall. And so there's three brothers in it. Remember the three brothers? There's Alfred. He becomes the, the uh, politician. He goes to do, he's, a, he's the businessman. And so how many here, if you had a choice between all three brothers, would choose that Alfred would be the love of your life uh, for you? your partner. And it may be, and it's okay. 
All right, so I don't see any hands. I had three at the first service. All right, so we're three out of 250. And then you have the younger brother, Samuel. And Samuel represents the innocence and the softness, and he wants to go off to war. He wants to do the right thing. He's called to this thing, and he sees this injustice being done, and he's going to take a stand. And so the two brothers go off to war with him. And now Samuel, how how much appeal does Samuel have for you? Is that a a male, a man presence in your life that you want to partner with? Once again, I don't see any hands. So... We have the middle brother, who's portrayed by, by Brad Pitt. So some people have seen the movie. And, and so what Brad Pitt represents is wild at heart. He's untamed. He's dangerous. And so he's, as a young man, he's mentored by the First Nation Cree warrior, chieftain. And, and he's, he goes off and challenges the grizzly bear with his bowie knife. And he tames the wild horse. And, he's, and, he, and he, you know, all, the women, all the women are crazy about him. And, you know, the whole story... But what it represents is that, is that, that for men, for men in a spiritual partnership, see, if you don't think God is fierce and wild, just go out into, on a trail sometime. John Eldridge talks about he was up in Alaska and he's hiking this trail and it, and it said, don't go in there without a whistle and a gun and, a, and all the stuff you need for protection because of the grizzly bears. So he and his buddy are walking in and he says, what do you have for protection? He says, well, I got a whistle. He says, great. And they're walking along, and there's all these dead salmon with their heads missing, laying on the trail, and there's all this bark ripped off the trees, and there's just obvious bears are everywhere. And then these four guys come walking down the trail, coming out. He said they're all got, they got shotguns slung over their shoulder, and they got, they got ammunition around their waist, and there's just a small arsenal coming out. And John Eldridge looked at his friend and said, we're going to die in here. <laughs> but what, what, what men require is a bit of that danger. And I want to share this with you because it's so easy to come and, and, and do church and think of just love. God's just love. And God is love. But where would we be? And see, for men, I know this from my own upbringing. I didn't have a dad that, that ever sat down with me and mentored me as a man because he didn't have the gift and the tools. It wasn't that he was not doing his job. He never got it. And so there's a, there's a whole generation of men that don't know what it feels like to be a man. I mean, truly a man. And, and as I do this work and I look at my own life and I realize, oh my gosh, why are there so many fatherless children on the planet? Why are there, why are there just all these things that are going on? You know, so, so here's Brad Pitt in this movie, or you look at, at uh, Mel Gibson in, in Braveheart, and his, the love of his life that he married in secret is taken away. And he goes to war. And it's a metaphor for our hearts. Because as Eldridge says, what we need is, what men need is a battle to fight. Men need a battle to fight. Doesn't mean we have to go to war, but men have to have a battle to fight. And they need, number two, they need an adventure to live. Because if we just domesticate ourselves, it's boring. Eldridge talks about going to a zoo and he's looking at this great big lion. He loved this big lion. He said this lion was in a cage for years. He lives in Colorado Springs. He'd go to the zoo, and the lion would be sitting there in a cage just about the same size as him. And every once in a while, he'd roll from one side to another. And he always wanted this fierce lion to look him in the eye, and the lion would never look him in the eye because the lion was bored and dead. The lion, he said, should have been out on the plains being a lion, doing what lions do. But the God's in the lion. So they need an adventure to live, and they need a beauty to rescue. 
So the men need a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. Well, look at all the, 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 the famous mythology we have and the stories that we have. The Knights of the Round Table, King Arthur, Lancelot, Guinevere. I mean, all the great movies. As soon as the guy's got to go rescue the woman, oh, man, this is good. <laughs> Holy cow. It's part of our DNA for men. And for women, women want to be pursued. Women want to be adored by someone, to be precious. Man, it's not that you can't live without them. I don't want to live without you. It took me 45 years to get there when I met Laura. When I met, and the other piece about it for women is they want an adventure to share. When I met Laura, see, what men think in, in our culture, many, many men, and you see it all the time, men think the women is, is, the, is the objective. But once you get the woman, once she's your mate, they don't realize that's just part of the process. You've got to have an adventure to share. You watch wonderful dynamic relationships. It's not just about having this partnership, because that's boring. Oh, we found each other. Here we are. Woohoo! <laughs> it's about having an adventure to share. Let's build a life together. Let's, let's do something spectacular. Let's do something that brings us both alive. See, our hearts, that's finding our hearts. When we're, in that, when we're in the passion of our lives, it's finding our hearts, and then we come alive. What I love about this teaching, why I keep doing this, is, and I ask myself every week, people come up and say, well, you must, every year, you must have to decide whether you're gonna keep going or not. Every year, are you kidding? I do it every day. Every year. I wish I would like it once a year. But the point is, is that if we don't change consciousness, if we don't shift consciousness, we're going to keep having the same results over and over and over again. And it is happening. And it is changing. And you're part of it, and I'm part of it. And, it's, and that's an adventure that we share. We see the world as it is. You see these teens right here, they're being influenced, they're, they're in relationship. And so then it's, and, and then it, the third one for women is every woman wants to be, have a beauty to unveil, to be delighted in. When you love somebody, I got to tell you, there's a, Oh, I've got to find it. There's a, there's a line in here by a John Browning poem that I just, when I read it, it just made, the, it made my socks roll up and down. <laughs> and I got those big heavy ones on. I bought those big heavy ones at Mark's Work Warehouse the other day. I said, boy, I've got to get those. My feet are cold all the time. But what it says, I won't find the Browning poem here, I'm looking, because I didn't highlight it, but he said there's nothing more magical than the, than the shape of a female. And you know what? Part of the poetry in my life, I think Laura took off, is watching Laura at night when she gets up, goes to the bath and comes back, and I see the shadow, it's like, oh, thank you, God. Because it's the delight of the form. And, and you may be in a, and you know, you may be in a same-sex relationship, but it's the same for you. We all have that. We want to find our hearts, to discover our hearts. And so what happens is we don't get, for men especially and for women, I mean, when, you know, and, and men have to be soft at times. But if men are soft all the time, there's something wrong. And women need to be fierce at times. I'm not saying the, the great work that women, I honor women. I was telling a couple ladies last week, I think it's time for the women to take the politics and do something new because this is getting pretty redundant. But the point is, is that, the point is, is that, but, but if, if women are too fierce, if they're fierce all the time, there's something missing. It's living in the mosaic of our beings and understanding that we all have parts to play and not one is more important than the other. 
And, and I'm, I'm just, I'm getting so clear on this. And it's, it's just, it's powerful, powerful stuff. See, and the thing about it is, is that we are created in the image and likeness. Everybody, anybody ever heard that before? We're created in the image and likeness. What does that mean? This is it. God is both male and female. And to be in the beautiful dance so that, see, when you're not a man, if you can't be a man, when you stand with a woman. John Eldridge says in his book, Wild at Heart, if you cannot be a man with another woman, the first default that men will go to is pornography. Because it's a substitute. They want the beauty, but they don't want to have any skin in the game, so to speak. Because they don't know how to, they're not comfortable in their own skin being a man. This is why we have the addictions that go on. I, 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 can, I, can, I can't even begin to tell you the number of men I've sat with that had never had any healthy male role models. And so they, they, they spin into addiction and they spin into depression and they don't even, you know, Jackson Brown said it. That wonderful quote from Jackson Brown. Are you there? Say a prayer for the pretender who started out so young and strong only to surrender. If you don't have it, if you don't have the model, you gotta, you gotta discover your heart for yourself. You gotta, do, you gotta find that place within you. John Eldridge said that he, his son, he talks about raising his sons, and his son came to him, and he, and he was this bright, bubbly kid. He was always very verbal, and every day they, they would just celebrate him coming home from school. He just started school, and he'd come home and tell the story about school and all the new adventures and the things they were learning and his teachers and his friends. And he came home one day, and he was very sad looking down. And his dad said, what's up? And he said, well, the guy, the kid at recess pushed me down. And he said, and I just started crying in front of everybody. And he looked at his little boy and he said, I want to tell you something. Next time that little boy comes to you and he does that, you get up and you hit him as hard as you possibly can. And his son's face just lit up. It wasn't he wasn't encouraging him to be, to be cruel, but he was, standing, he, was, he was telling him to be able to stand up for himself and take a stand in his life. You know, every picture I've ever seen of Jesus, we don't have one on the banners. We probably should get one because we're very Christian in how we approach spirituality and it influenced Ernest Holmes tremendously. But every picture that I've seen of Jesus, he's got long flowing hair and a beard and he's standing around a bunch of kids. He's, he was like, um, Eldred says he's like Mr. Rogers with a beard. But if you read scripture, if you read the, the Bible, what you find out, if you look at the things he did, he was soft and compassionate when it was appropriate. When the leper would come to him, the leper that had never been physically touched, Jesus would take his hand and he would work with him. And he would help shift the consciousness. And he would love him unconditionally. Because he, he, he had that ability and that, that deep groundedness. But there's stories throughout his story where he took a stand, where he said no. He was in uh, Capernaum. And he was healing. And he, he spent the whole day healing. People kept coming and coming and coming. And Jesus was just working all, the, all of the things that he could possibly do. And they were being transformed. And the next day he got up and he was taken off. And the people of Capernaum said, you've got to stay with us. You're ours now. You stay here. He said, no, no, you guys got this. You don't need me. You need the consciousness I represent. You, I have to go share this with other people that are suffering, that are living in the first kingdom of victimhood. 
It's possible to shift and change consciousness. He knew his work was done there. I have to go share this with others. You have everything you need. He wasn't a dispensary. You know, we, we have this thing we call affirmative prayer. You know, people say to me all the time, you're in my prayers. I would love to see a tabulation. In fact, when I get to the next realm, I'm going to say, I'd like to see a tabulation between prayers promised and prayers actually done. Because I've done it too. Oh, yeah, I'm praying for you. Then I forget about it. What I'm going to start doing is just stopping right there and say, I'm doing a prayer for you right now. I'm going to fulfill my commitment to you. But the point being is that... that See, he, his, if you look at his life and you believe he lied, if he lived or didn't live, I don't know, but I know the metaphor and the archetype of what he represented as alive and dynamic and as powerful, and he's influenced the planet in such a powerful way. But if you look at his life and what he modeled, he wasn't Mr. Rogers with a beard. He wasn't Miss, uh, Mother Teresa all the time. But he had that capacity. You know, when they came for him in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying, and he, he was, they said he was sweating blood that night. He was so scared. And he asked, you know, he said, Father, remove this cup from my lips. I don't want to face this. But when they came for him, and Judas was with him, he said, who are you looking? He stepped up. All of his, all of his, other pe- all of his buddies were sleeping. He stepped up. He saw him coming. He said, who are you looking for? And he said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And without missing a beat, he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. You're looking for me. And they all fell back, as the story goes. And, and Judas fell to the ground. But he just stood. I mean, that's not Mr. Rogers. That's a guy who knows who he is. And then they asked again, no, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth. I've already told you that. But he understood what the consequences were. But he, and he stood for who he was. But it's so easy to think, well, you know, God is all love. Well, God's the, God's the wilderness too. God loves the wild. God's the grizzly bear. There's a... When we look at life, and this is what the battle, you know, for us, men need a battle to fight an adventure to live and a beauty to rescue. And women need, want to be, want to be pursued. You are my highest priority. You are my number one priority. They want an adventure to share and a beauty to unveil, to be, to be delighted in. And the interesting thing is, is that these are all qualities of God. What we're doing with one another, if we got this, we're then able to bring our, our, our whole heart to this relationship of spiritual partnership with the infinite. To pursue God with all my heart, with all of my energy. Because God wants to be pursued. Did you ever think of that? Why would, we, why would we incarnate and do this? Because God is crazy about relationship. So then God created men and women who could be crazy about relationship. The problem is that we don't have a roadmap and we haven't find our, found our hearts. We don't know how to do the dance together. And then we come up with all these crazy ideas and then marriages fall apart. What's the divorce rate? 50%? Higher? Because we don't know how to be in partnership. You know, you see a great marriage. It's inspiring. It's inspiring and it's possible for all of us, but the ultimate marriage, the other ultimate connection, our prayer work, first, there's one life, that life is my life. What is that all about? To delight in God? One of the, the steps in this, Gary Zukov talks about is gratitude. To discover our hearts. God wants to be pursued. God wants us to be on the adventure of discovery. And then life's exciting. And a battle to fight. A battle of fight in this book by uh, John Eldridge. 
He says, there's a wonderful uh, little story here I want to share with you. I've read almost everything that uh, Stephen Ambrose has written. He's a historian. He wrote Band of Brothers, and he wrote a lot of things that the Laura and I have read most of it. And there's a, he, he took an excerpt here, and it's from the Second World War. And God bless the guys that, that fought that. God bless the guys that, that uh, got dropped off at Normandy Beach and didn't make it to the beach. And the stories of when they got to the beach, they're standing by the, they've made it there, and, and men are wounded and crippled everywhere. And some of them are just paralyzed with fear. And so for us in our lives, how many of us are paralyzed in fear? How many of us are in victim consciousness? And he, and he tells a story here of a, a Brigadier General Norman Dutch Coda. He's an assistant division commander of the 29th. He came upon a group of infantry pinned down by some Germans in a farmhouse. He asked the captain in command why his men were making no effort to take the building. Sir, the Germans are in there and they're shooting at us. Makes perfect sense. I've never been shot at, but I can't imagine it. And the captain replied, well, I'll tell you what, Captain, Coda said. He unbuckled two grenades from his jacket. You and your men start shooting at them, and I'll take a squad of men, and you and your men watch carefully. And I'll show you how to take a house with Germans in it. Coda led his squad around a hedge to get as close as possible to the house. And suddenly he gave a whoop and raced forward, and the squad followed, yelling like wild men. As they tossed grenades into the windows, Coda and, other, and another man kicked in the front door, tossed a couple of grenades inside, waited for the explosion, and dashed into the house. The surviving Germans inside were streaming out the back door, running for their lives. Coda returned to the captain, and he said, Now do you see how to take a house? And the general, the general said, still out of breath, Do you understand? Do you know how to do this now? And the captain said, Yes, sir, I do. Now I'm not endorsing war. But this is a true story. And the metaphor, the battle that we have, the, the opportunity, but it is a battle. The men that I know that have lost their way, I mean, uh, story after story after story. We all need a battle to fight. We all need an adventure to live. And we all need a beauty to rescue. I know that about my, my, my beautiful wife, Laura, has allowed me to do all these things in her life. When I read this, I went, oh my gosh, this is why our, my, our relationship is so magical. Because when I showed up, she let me step into this, this role with her. Not to diminish her, not to take anything away from her, because she's got such great talents and skills and gifts that she gives to the world. But to be able to delight in her and to share the adventure. When I met her, let's go, change, let's go help change the world. Let's go introduce this teaching in a powerful, wonderful way. Let's, let's have a beautiful, wonderful life together. Because it wasn't just finding her. It was then saying, let's go on this adventure together. And it's just, there's so much juice in that. But our, our battle is when we slip into victim consciousness, we allow our woundedness and to start identifying so strongly with the stories that we carry with us of being discounted and, and, and dismissed and not being good enough and not having the talents. Finding our heart is being able to come together and look at one another despite the realities of what's going on and say to one another, you have everything it takes you have everything it takes. That's why sports, sports are so popular with boys. You know, boys don't get together. Girls do it differently. Boys don't get together and say, oh, I just love those shorts you have on today. They're fantastic. Some boys do, but, but not a lot. No, boys, boys go out and they, they, you know, they, they hit a golf ball. And then they stand there and go, man, that was great, great shot. That's how the love gets exchanged. And women do it differently. We've got to have both. 
got to have both. Look at this, Great Cup Sunday. We don't have nuts at nights of the round table anymore. What do these guys do? They put on shoulder pads. They put on their armor and their helmets, and they go off to fight the battle. And if you fight the battle, somewhere in your mind, you get to win the cheerleader. Yeah. Cool. The only problem is there's only like nine or ten cheerleaders, and there's 45 guys on the team, so... That's why they don't let the players date the cheerleaders. Elaine will tell you that. She worked for the Eskimos. But do you see how it's part of our culture and part of our DNA? And so spiritual partnership is all the tools that Zukov talks about. are just They're so important, but ultimately what they're doing, and, and Zukov tells, he says it. At the end of the book, I was reading the end of the book last night. He said, well, number one, he said, these tools allow you to live your life with an empowered heart. He's saying the same thing this other guy is, an empowered heart. And, 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 as we, and it's not, as I said, you have everything within you that you need to succeed. Uh, this quote from Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N, Jim Rohn, wonderful. He says, success is not to be pursued, but attracted by the people we become. Success is not to be pursued, but attracted by the people we become. And we become those people by understanding we're not in this alone. And that everybody has a part to play. And if you didn't get parented and you didn't get loved growing up, it's not too late. It's not because people didn't give you everything they had, because they did. But it's, it's doing the inquiry and the examination and asking the questions to say, how did I get here? Why does my life look like this? And do I want my life to continue to look like this or do I want to change it? What can I read and study and examine and change and transform within myself? that adds value to the world. So then, I have that, that battle to fight. And this is the battle. This is the, this is the, the opportunity. A battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. We are the beauty within ourselves. The adventure is to do that discovery, to pursue God and to pursue ourselves. It's one and the same thing. Share the adventure with one another. See, we're here to be in relationship. We need each other. The teens have spent the weekend being in relationship. God so longed to be in relationship. He created us, gave us life. Go do it. And it's the funniest thing. Go do it and then try and find me. So we're playing hide and go seek with one another, I guess. But that's what we're doing. And to be delighted in. The last, the last if you go on Zukov's uh, website, he's got six... Um, six things to do. I'll read them to you real quick. I, 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 uh, I looked at him this morning because he said, check out my website, and I did. There's six things to do. He says, love is fearless. Emotional awareness is relaxing into the present moment, even when that moment contains painful emotions. The parts of yourself that oppose the intention of your soul, harmony, cooperation, sharing, and reverence for life are the parts that originate in fear. Choice is the engine of our evolution. Intuition is perception beyond the physical senses that is meant to assist us. And the last one that I think is so important, when you experience gratitude and reverence for life, you see beyond appearances, your judgment disappears, and your heart opens. So the portal, one of the powerful tools, is every day. Marcia Sutton says the same thing. Begin and end every day with gratitude. It's a vibrational, it's a, it's a vibrational enhancer that lifts us up. The preciousness, the beauty of life. We are here in celebration of this idea, this possibility. 
And it's, it's, it's wonderful and powerful to be part of this rising tide of love on this planet. And that, we can, and that we can all learn together how to be together on this planet as God designed us, as healthy, powerful men and women, creating a world that works for everyone, a rising tide of love. And so it is.